Always a pleasure to have this man on. He is the uh, U.S. Senator from the great state of Wisconsin. It's Ron Johnson. Ron, how are you? Good to see you. Doing great, Joe. Hope you are, too. I, I am. I'm doing well, except for, and I'm going to say some things that I want you to disagree with if you think I'm wrong. Kevin McCarthy just got rolled by Hakeem Jeffries and Joe Biden. Do you agree? Well, first of all, let's place the blame where it really uh, deserves to be placed, sure. and that's with Democrats. I mean, they're the ones that have no problem uh, mortgaging our children's future. Uh, I do believe that the House, and this is primarily House conservatives, uh, we were working with them, uh, they, they came a long way in terms of where they originally were in terms of their demands to increase the debt ceiling, but they they, they concede a lot of points to get 218 Republicans to, to pass a bare minimum bill and gave Kevin McCarthy leverage. Uh, I, I don't think he effectively used that leverage. And I think the, the, the worst part of it was, you know, the original House bill was a increase the debt limit at its fixed dollar amount, $1.5 trillion. Without certainly not consulting the House conservatives, I'm not sure he consulted with anybody, now, Kevin McCarthy just suspended the debt ceiling uh, till early 2025, and nobody knows exactly how much that'll be, but it's probably going to be at least $4 trillion. So I think that was the, uh, uh, that, that was, I think, what probably upset conservatives the most. But nothing you said is something I can disagree with. So let's break it down by the facts that we now know. We know that the first thing the House did was pass this bill to get rid of 87,000 IRS agents. Chuck Schumer never even allowed it for a vote. And that was leverage that Kevin McCarthy had going into the debt ceiling argument. Uh, yes, you're right, $1.5 trillion, a fixed amount was in there. The 87000 have to go away. You've got to make people go to work if they want entitlements. That was a very, very good bill that the House passed that would avert any sort of default. The Senate didn't, didn't take it up. The President didn't put any pressure on Schumer to take it up. Kevin McCarthy in the House did what they were, were, were supposed to do. If there was going to be a default, it would have been on Schumer. It would have been on Biden. So why not stick to your guns and not move from that? Even if you move a little bit, as you said, Ron, there is no limit here. Four trillion is what we assume. It could be six. It could be eight. We have no idea. And the stupidity of waiting until January 25, taking this as an issue away from a conservative running for president in 24 blows my mind. Did I miss something? Uh I don't think so. Listen, I, I was advising throughout the process that uh, the first uh, point we ought to be making publicly is this is a phony crisis. Uh, we have more than enough revenue coming in to service our debt, which means we won't default. We have more than enough money to cover Social Security payments, probably Medicare payments. And th- that should have been our position. That This is a make-believe crisis designed to accommodate grotesque levels of spending. So we should have been messaging that since the start of the year. But we don't. Uh, you know, too, too many of us, uh, you know, too many Republicans end up kind of falling into the trap of, uh, you know, blowing this into big crisis and we just have to do something about it. Right. Uh, just reasonable financial management on the part of Biden and, Ye- and Yellen uh, would make sure that we wouldn't default. But we also know, because Obama did this, uh, uh, if given the opportunity, they will make these types of uh, uh, moments as painful as possible for the American people to score political points, and of course they know that they'll have the mainstream media backing them up. So it's it, it's not a fair fight, Joe. I mean, you, you recognize that. I mean, the mainstream media are advocates for the left. They'll always blame Republicans, no matter how blameless Republicans are. And that, that spooks an awful lot of my colleagues. Uh, again, I, I think we could do a far better job of uh, making the, the points that need to be made. Just talk, tell about the, talk about the truth. You know, we have more than enough revenue. And, and we, should, we should do everything we can to develop better and better leverage. And that, that's my disappointment is, is by the House passing a bill, 
a very reasonable bill, one where House conservatives went a long way in compromising within their conference. We should have held Pat on that to, and use that leverage more effectively than what we did. As you know, it's Senator Ron Johnson, great state of Wisconsin. As you know, I interview people from the Senate and from the House all the time. I've had dozens of people on. Ron, you are the first person to say we were not going to default. Everybody else said we have to avert a default. We can't worry about a default. The good standing and the good credit of the great United States, blah, blah, blah. You're the first person who just said, and you're, you're a businessman, so I believe you, that we were not going to default. Why didn't anybody else say that? I, I, I can't you know, speak for other people. Again, you know, Yellen and, and Biden would make it as painful as possible, relying on the fact that the, the uh, press will back them up and blame Republicans for any pain that their cash mismanagement would, could cause. So I, mean, I get that point as well. But that's why we should have been out there messaging from day one. You know, my suggestion to the House conservatives is increase the debt ceiling and have two things. I actually wrote this in, in the Wall Street Journal column uh, the day after I got elected. Okay. Uh, but the two provisions we should have passed, Preventing Government Shutdown Act, take government shutdowns off the table for all time, and the No Default Act, the full faith and credit, uh, codify the fact that we're not going to default on our debt. Those should have been our demands. I thought, you know, had we asked for that, we could have won that argument publicly. Again, was that, is that, would that be reasonable to just say, listen, we're going to increase the debt ceiling. We've never voted for one, but we'll do this as long as we pass a bill. Right. It'd prevent all future government shutdowns and would ensure we would never default on our debt. I thought that would be a winning position. I think the House Conservative decided to go a different direction, and certainly McCarthy didn't uh, take that advice either. It is uh, Senator Ron Johnson. Follow him everywhere. U.S. Senator, great state of Wisconsin. Uh, in this deal, um, uh, Shalanda Young, who's the, the budget office person for Biden, was asked yesterday in the press room, um, in negotiations, everybody's got to give up something. Both sides have to compromise. They have to give in. What did your side give up? And she went, I, uh, well, the American people win. Precisely. Right. She had nothing. I, I mean, honestly, Biden got $2.5 trillion more that he even asked for on the on the bare minimum. Again, it could be as high as six. Also, didn't get rid of the COVID money. That just goes to commerce where they can spend it like it's petty cash. This whole idea that we cut costs and cut spending. Ron, they're basing it on the COVID baseline. They're not going back to pre-COVID baseline, so they're not really cutting any spending at all. What did the Republicans get? Do you know? You know, again, Joe, I'm not going to dispute it. Not, not much. And I, I'm the guy that points out it was in the year 2002 where we – we pierced the $2 trillion spending mark. 17 years later, uh, prior to the COVID recession, we spent $4.4 trillion. Then on a bipartisan basis, the, the Uniparty went into a, a spending spree and then went from $4.4 trillion to $6.5 to $6.8, then to $6.3. And somehow $6.3 now is the, the baseline. If we would take the 4.4 and just increase it by population growth and yes. inflation, with Biden's inflation, last year we would have spent $5.1 trillion. That's what I was arguing to pass the Preventing Government Shutdown Act, reset the base closer to $5.1 trillion, and move forward from that. I, I think that would have been a saleable and a win winning argument for the American public. But again, I'm not in the House. The ball was in their court. They chose to go a different direction. 
Extremely reasonable, too, Ron. That's the thing. We're acting like uh, we're getting... I mean, when Kevin McCarthy says, I'm not asking to pit you against McCarthy, I'll say this. When he says we cut spending more than we've seen in American history, it's just not true because he's not telling us where we're starting. And the whole idea that... Why not take the $29 billion, just between you and me, why not take the $29 billion for COVID spending and literally pay off $29 billion of the debt? Or, or give a refund to the American people. Why would we give it to commerce where you and I both know they're just going to spend it? How did we win there? Well, again, Joe, I'm, I'm not going to dispute. This is, uh, this is more than disappointing. I'm going to vote no uh, later tonight uh, when we probably vote on this thing. Uh, but again, I, I, I do want to point out the, the most of the blame resides with Democrats. If we had any Democrat partners... They were concerned about the fact that we're $32 trillion in debt on a path to go to $50 trillion. Hmm. We might be able to come up with some reasonable bills here. But there aren't Democrats that are concerned about this. Uh, they're a monolithic block. They are dedicated to spending as much money as they possibly can, make more Americans dependent on government, which means dependent on them, to buy themselves vote, to, to get reelected. It's destroying this country. And you've heard me say it before. I remind Americans that then Venezuelans voted themselves into poverty right. in just a couple decades. We're, we're voting ourselves down that same path. What do you think the goal is here? Uh, I talk about Cloward and Piven a lot on my show, which is basically just a whacked out idea by a couple of college professors in the 60s that said, let's break the economy, let's go bankrupt, start everything all over, and we'll basically be a socialist nation where everybody's reliant on the government for food and shelter and water and clothing and transportation. Nobody does better than anybody else. In other words, disenfranchise or, or disincentivize everybody and make them basically Venezuela. Do you think that the leadership, the uniparty, as you said, are they trying to make us like Venezuela? If so, why? Well, Democrats certainly want to turn America into a socialist state. You know, the, the other thing that's that's even nastier are, are you know the, the the movements within the Democrat Party, the radical left, that push hate. You know, they they, they falsely accuse Republicans, conservatives of doing the exact same thing that they are doing. You know, whether it's transgenderism, you know, t- saying t- t- telling transgender that Republicans hate your guts. No, no, we don't. We, we have compassion for people. But they are the ones that are pushing hate, exacerbating the, the political divide here. And again, it makes no sense to me. It's all destructive. But that is the, you know, that's really the definition of the radical left, the Democrat Party. They're destructive to America. They're destroying this country. It is uh, Ron Johnson, U.S. Senator, great state of Wisconsin. Ron, going into a, a big election next year, usually the conservatives or the Republicans or the right would be able to talk about lower regulations, lower taxation, lower spending, monetary, fiscal issues really do resonate with people who might be middle of the road, leaning right a little bit, maybe on other issues, they're more left, but on, on their pocketbook, on kitchen table stuff, they're more to the right. What argument does a Republican candidate for president or even Senator House have next year, knowing they can't do anything when it comes to this debt ceiling and this budgetary stuff until after they're elected or not elected. What's the argument on the right now financially? If nothing else, I really wish they would have said October is when it sunsets. This way, it's an argument. Well, again, I mean, this a new president will take over and they'll be dealing with the debt ceiling increase right away. Uh, so, so they will have an impact on that. But, uh, you know, if you're conservative, you're going to be running against the disaster that is Democrat governance. And hopefully you'll be laying out a vision of how America could, can improve, you know, how, how we can get put back on a path of prosperity and liberty and freedom and a unified country, that you know, a healed country. Again, 
we need to heal this country. Democrats are doing the exact opposite. They're yeah. they're exacerbating the divide. And that to me, that that is their, their greatest uh, sin is the way they continue to exacerbate the divide in this country. Uh, Ron, one last thing on this whole debt deal. Um, Hakeem Jeffries came out. He was in support of it. He was almost doing a, a happy dance. Uh, that scared me immediately. When you saw that happen, did you know that we were in trouble? That the left loved well, again, it? I, I, I've, been, I've been part of the process. I, I knew that what the House initially passed was pretty much the bare minimum. Yes. Now, I knew there'd probably have to be some compromise. I, I guess you know my jaw dropped to the extent that uh, you know, we moved away from a very solid plan on the House and got this. Uh, again, I, Joe, I'm, I'm highly disappointed by this. Uh, but all I can really do is one U.S. senator is vote no. And, and thank God you're going to do that, but there are going to be plenty of Republicans that vote yes, and it's going to go through, and then Biden's going to sign it. Another big fat win for them. It's Ron Johnson. Follow him everywhere. Uh, go to ronjohnson.senate. Or, yeah, ronjohnson.senate.gov. Let's talk about oversight and intelligence, which you're so good at. You've been on top of these, these issues within the deep state, within the DOJ for a long time, been on top of the Hunter Biden stuff for a long time. Um, let's start with this document that uh, a whistleblower says he or she has seen at the DOJ that that spells out exactly how Joe Biden's power and his sway as vice president was being sold for profit for the Biden family. Are we going to see this? I know Chuck Rassley's in charge of this, and you work very closely with him. Are we going to see this document? Well, so the whistleblower came to Chuck Grassley's office. You know, we no longer have the subpoena authority, so Senator Grassley went to James Comer, who has the subpoena. They've subpoenaed it. Uh, I believe both of those members have gone and and looked and read that document. Um, I, I really can't tell you much more about it uh, uh, because Senator Grassley is uh, maintaining the, the the confidence of what he saw. Right. Um, and again, this would be a an allegation from a confidential human source. And I think uh, Senator Grassley's primary point is he wants to know what what did the FBI do to investigate the claim. Right. Again, at this point, it's an allegation. Uh, apparently, the he couldn't tell from reading it who the informant was, who the confidential human source was, and so it, it, again, it's all speculation right now. But, but remember, I, I subpoenaed Christopher Ray. He slow walked me. He did not turn over the documents that that we requested. Right. He's not doing it again. This is an unclassified document. You know, from my standpoint, there's probably no reason whatsoever, from what I've heard about it, that this cannot be made public. Um, you know, particularly in light of all the things we have uncovered. You know, Senator Grassley and I, we laid out in our September 2020 report all the, you know, the vast web of financial foreign entanglements. You know, the transfer of millions of dollars that certainly looks like laundering of money. Now, James Comer has gone and added to that record. Now we know there are even more Bidens than just uh, James and Sarah and Hunter and probably Joe, you know, involved in the grift. I mean, how much more evidence does the American public need? But unfortunately... With a, a, a media that is part and parcel of the Democrat Party, advocates for the left, you know, they're they're not expressing any kind of outrage. Right. They don't have much curiosity. So, you know, we don't have an investigative media looking at Democrat wrongdoing, uh, and that's very dangerous for a democracy. I want a free press that holds both sides equally accountable. And we don't have that right now. That's supposed to be the job, and they just don't do it. You're right about that. When I had James Comer on, he made it clear, Joe, without saying anything more. I know the document exists because the FBI was trying to, they, they didn't want to say either, either uh, deny or confirm that it existed. Even Comer says, we know it exists. You agree? Well, yeah, they've seen it now. You know, so, so now they've established that. 
but you know, there, there's a recent uh, tweet that uh, is being fact-checked by USA Today. It's kind of, kind of interesting, but it it's, involves my uh, questioning of Christopher Ray earlier or late last year when I was asking him who set up the unsolicited briefing that was a setup that was leaked later on, smeared me, impacted the Wisconsin 2022 election. Right. You know, hopefully, you know, f- thankfully not successfully impacted it. But this was FBI interference in Chuck Grassley and my investigation in 2020. And Christopher Ray will not tell us who directed that briefing. Um, so, again, I, I, I've seen the corruption. I've, I've been a target of it. Uh, it is it is significant corruption. And again, the mainstream media is just looking the other way. I mean, is the mainstream media accused Chuck Grassley and I in 2020 of soliciting and disseminating Russian disinformation? Nothing could have been further from the truth. Then when we finally issued our report, clearly there was no Russian disinformation in there. The mainstream media just ignored our report. And then, of course, they covered up the the disclosure of the Hunter Biden laptop. So, again, it's the media and, and the FBI, Department of Justice, elements of the intelligence community that are interfering in our elections to a far greater extent than anything Russia or China ever could hope to accomplish. And again, it's the complicit and corrupt media that drives this process. I couldn't agree more. And and somebody's got to face charges. The Durham report comes out. I I can name five people now that should face charges. Those who made those allegations against you should face charges. Ray should be be impeached, in my opinion. And we're just, uh, frankly, out of time. Ron, come back on uh, very, very soon. Go ahead. We've written a letter to, to John Durham going, why didn't you subpoena the FBI, uh, officials that didn't cooperate with your investigation. You compare the number of subpoenas that, that uh, John Durham issued versus Miller, it's not even close. Right. Uh, you know, why wasn't John Durham more rigorous in his investigation? We're trying to get to the bottom of that. I hope you do. And when you do come back on, Ron, I appreciate it. It's uh, Ron Johnson, U.S. Uh, U.S. Senator, great state of Wisconsin. Thank you, my friend. Have a great day. Uh, you too. We're back after this. Stay right here. This is the Joe Pag Show. Appreciate Ron Johnson coming on. That is it for hour number two. Another big hour coming your way uh, with Dr. Carol Swain on the Joe Pag Show. Don't touch that dial. Stay right here. This is the Joe Pag Show.